0: Friday and Saturday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you to you and Vanessa and to the rest of the leadership and their family just for hosting us, for receiving us. I know it's hard work, <laughs> particularly when Michelle arrived. It got very difficult. Um, she's quite quite needy. and um, No, she's not. So I just want to thank you very much. It's been a privilege for us. It really has. I trust... Um, um, God has been able to minister to some of you. I trust you've been encouraged and edified to some degree. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do a bit of a tag team. I'm going to say a few things. Then Michelle's going to say a few things on a lot of things. And then I'll say a few things. Okay. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to lay a small, small, small foundation, and then
1: we'll finish off with something. So good. Please turn to somebody and say, hi, welcome. Got a Bible,
0: and I hope you have, or some resemblance of a Bible, or an iPhone, or an iPad, or a, a computer of some sort that you can get to. Some, I encourage you, if I may say this, I encourage you to get a physical Bible as well. I encourage you to get a physical Bible. I really do, because it's just, you can write things in it. I have a, um, yeah. I just write a lot of stuff in you. When God speaks to me, I write it in the margins and et cetera, et cetera. And I just find it a lot easier. Maybe I'm a little old school, I'm not sure. Uh, Probably am, but I do encourage you to get a physical Bible. Go to Proverbs chapter four, if you can, please. Proverbs chapter four, right in the middle of your Bibles. Proverbs chapter four, if you can go to verse 20. It says this.
1: My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely
0: to my words. Do not let them out of your sight and keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your heart includes your thoughts, your will, your affections, your discernment, etc. The Bible is encouraging us to guard our hearts. What does that mean? Very simply, is to keep our hearts pliable in His hands. To keep our hearts that He can work with them. He is the potter, we are the clay. Isaiah 64 verse eight says this, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are the work of your hands. And I find in my own life that when my heart stays tender and pliable, God can speak to me, he can communicate to me. He can work in me, he can work through me. But when my heart gets a little crusty and a little hard, because you go through seasons like that, very difficult. And so this morning, what, I, what we want to do, tag team, is share things with you that will help cultivate your heart or position you to receive what God wants to do by the
1: Spirit. You cannot earn it. Behavior doesn't earn, good behavior doesn't earn things from God. We receive
0: everything. Everything he gives, we receive Receive Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the gifts, receive grace, receive mercy. But in order for me to receive it, I've got to position myself. I've got to position my heart and for my heart to remain pliable. And so some of the things we want to share with you today is just things that we found in our own lives that have helped us, our hearts remain pliable and soft and tender in the hands of the Lord. Galatians 6, and I'm not too sure exactly Michelle's going to use the scripture. It says this, the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That eternal life is God's life. We'll continue to reap God's life. We were created to receive God and to express God. No other creation on the planet is created like that. God created us and designed us to receive Him and to reveal Him. It requires a tender heart, it requires a pliable heart. So, um, amen. So Michelle's gonna share a little bit and then I'll share a little bit.
2: Hey, good morning to all of you. It is such fun to be here. Um, those lights are really bright directly in my eyes. Sorry. Those specific ones, they'll... Yeah, so it's like, it hits me right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, as Ken shared, we just want, I just want to share some very practical things. I'm not a theologian at all. So these are just experience. And um, these things God has revealed to me over a while. You know... God has given us an incredible privilege of being able to live in this natural world and a supernatural world. Both are our habitat. So, for example, a fish, their natural habitat is water. Our natural, worldly habitat is the earth. But when we're born again and our spirit man comes alive, that spiritual realm is also our natural habitat. So we are supernatural beings, Supernatural in that we have the spirit man and able to encounter a different realm. And um, the other one is just the natural life and we have to feed both. We know if we don't feed our um, bodies, we won't survive very long. But all too often spiritually, we don't feed the spirit man. And so these are just some very practical keys um, as to how to feed the spiritual man. Galatians 5 in the ampli- no, Galatians 16 in the Amplified says, But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Seek him and be responsive to his guidance. Then you will certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature which responds impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. In Romans 8 Verse 9a, from the Passion, it says, but when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. So we need to feed our spirit man like we need to feed our bodies to function. You eat a good, healthy life, a good, healthy diet. You do everything well. Your body generally is healthily. But spiritually, we've got to do the same thing. We've got to feed that spirit man. Okay, So the first point is our time with God. God is our strength and our wisdom in every area of life. Physically, as I said, our bodies need food, but spiritually, that's what we do. When we go without spiritual food, without continually feeding our spirit man, but we are born again, what happens is we don't remain strong, but what remains is a lifeless religion. We know it in our heads and we strive to be the people, but it's not the life of God, it's religion. There's a big difference. When God leads us and guides us, it's life. It comes from deep within, it's not religion, it's not what I have to do, it's not a set of rules and laws, it's nowhere to live. Um, We need to remain in God and to spend time with him. Okay, that's a big word. And um, John 15, verse uh, five and seven, it says, if a man remains in me, he said, he will, um, if a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Okay, so we gotta remain in him to, be, to bear much fruit. So we need to take time to get into the presence of God. And as Ken shared yesterday, we get into the presence of God differently. As Ken said, I get into the presence of God through nature or through worship. King gets in the presence of God through um, the word. When I've had a really bad time, I would get in my car, go and drive to a lake or something, get out, and as I step outside, I feel the presence of God. Okay, but on a day-to-day basis, I don't read the Bible without praising and praying because it's actually, my mind's all over. But when I enter into the presence of God, then I read the word, then it like jumps out at me and it's food to me. But Ken's different, he just picks up his Bible and reads. I don't know how he does that. Seldom I can do that, we're just different. And people do it differently. So just find what takes you into the presence of God. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. Okay, then I wanted to say another point is gratitude and thanksgiving. This is such a huge key. Because what happens, we live a life, and sometimes life can be tough. And we tend to look at circumstances instead of God. And that's very easy, especially when they're really hard circumstances. One thing I do, which is something God gave me many years ago to do, and it's just been such a key in my life. When I journal, I always start my journal with three things that I'm thankful for. Every single day. The first few times, it's just easy. Thank you, God, that you are... After you actually... I sit down and say, God, what am I thankful for today? And I write those. When I'm going through a tough time, I go, go back two weeks in my journal. By the time I've read through those, only those things that I'm thankful for, I think, God, you are so faithful. Look what you have done. Look what you have done. And whatever I'm dealing through, is my eyes are shifted onto what God has done, the incredible goodness of him and all the things he has done and the praise he has answered and who he is and all those things. And suddenly, whatever I'm dealing with doesn't seem so bad because you're looking at God. It is really important, you know, the Bible says we enter into his um, gates with thanksgiving into our, in our hearts. So to enter into that remaining in God, that presence of God, we come with thanksgiving and gratitude, it's the way to do that. You know, um, Ken shared recently that my dad passed away. I could have thought about the fact that for the last 20 years I have not lived my, near my dad and so I wasn't with him a lot of the time. That's what I could have looked at. We were privileged to go back quite often. But I could also look at the fact that in the last year, God enabled us to go back, to, enabled me to go back to South Africa three times to be with my dad, three times in one year from America. That's phenomenal. We don't have that kind of cash. The first trip we went on, I went on. I felt the Lord, no, Ken and I went on. I felt the Lord say, I'm going to cover this 100%. You need to go for your dad. We didn't even know what was wrong. I actually thought he had kind of maybe moved into a bit of Alzheimer, because he was forgetting some things. Um, he was at the time um, 90, just turned 90. And we went over there, and every, on our way back, I said to Ken "What?" because we had the most amazing time with him, amazing time. But that precipitated us, enabling him to go to a doctor, etc., and finding out he had the tumour on the brain. But we, when I got back, on the way back, I said to Ken, what's the difference between what we paid out and what we received? And he calculated, he said about seven hundred dollars. I said, okay. I didn't say anything more. And I felt the Lord say had said to me, I said, Lord, seven hundred. That's what we need. And I got we got home and my son comes up to he says, You know, somebody left a check for you in the office. I opened the check, it was a check of seven hundred dollars. That lady had never come to our church. She was watching, she lives in a different state, was watching TV in Maryland and she saw YouTube and saw a um, clip of Ken come up and felt the Lord say to her, you need to go and visit that church and give that man $700. God is our provider. So I can look at that which was actually an amazing miracle. And the fact that I was able to be with him at the time he passed away and went into glory with him with, to be with the Lord and my mom. I mean, I could look at that or I could look at, oh, you know, it's been 20 years and it's been so hard. Where you look is where you live. See what God has done. See what
1: he does. Is that a thing that makes such a difference? Um,
2: the next thing I wanted to touch on was Praise. You know, praise, you enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into his um, gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So when you enter into his courts, you're going deeper and deeper into that presence of God, into that presence of God, into being with him, that really, really um, just overwhelming presence. Now, I want to say that this to me, for me personally, is a huge key, absolutely huge. It's something that takes me into his presence every time. There's seven words for praise, and I'm not gonna preach on it, I don't have time. Each of these points could actually be a sermon or series because each one is key. But um, there's seven words of praise in the Bible that is translated from Greek or Hebrew, praise. One is to dance. My son always said physical obedience releases spiritual blessing. When I start prayers, I dance around the house. I mean sometimes Ken comes home, it's too funny, the house is blaring, the music is pumping. The dogs get so excited because they think I'm playing. They've come running around with their toys, and I'm dancing up and down the house and all the rest of it, and it's fun. But that takes you into worship. And praise is a lifestyle. You don't always feel like praising. It doesn't matter how we feel. If I'm not feeling like praising and my mind's not set on those things, I get up physically dense and let it come out of my mouth. By the end of that prayer session, I'm feeling better. But if I'm really going through a a tough time, it might not be one day. Sometimes it takes a a few days before you get into that presence of God. Don't worry, just persevere. Praise and worship will always, in time, bring you to the presence of God, every single time. Especially when you, I mean, sometimes you just read your word and it's like, I I can't get into it. You're worshiping and your mind's a thousand miles away. But when you're praising and you're physically dancing, you physically have to concentrate on it. It takes you into the presence of God. Okay, I have incredible memories of this, you know. Um, I remember when, many years ago when I used to work, sometimes on my way to um, work, I would be praising the Lord and I'd be so overwhelmed. That I actually had to pull over because I didn't know if I could drive with tears running down my face and the joy of the Lord and all the rest of it. But I think for me, what God really when God really taught me a lot was in the youth that we used to lead. The first youth group we led. Ken wasn't even saved initially, but afterwards he did get saved. And I remember the one retreat we went to, and it was a small church, and we took about we took thirty-three youth, of which most of them I don't think were saved. And that night, on a Saturday night, we didn't even have a worship leader, okay? We got some person, young young lady from a different church to come and lead the worship for us at that retreat. We really knew nothing. We had mostly fun, but God is so powerful. Saturday night, we were praising and worshiping, and we had never seen anything like this and never heard anything about this. Today, in today's world, we just see things on the internet and we know so much. We didn't know these things happened. So what happened was just, okay, this is God. It didn't, it's not something we strive for. It's not something we even expected. 30 out of 33 youth ended up on their knees or on the floor weeping before the Lord. That night, by the time Ken, Ken and I went to bed, which was pretty late, but I, I mean, I had little kids with me. I couldn't stay up the entire night. But um, by the time we went to bed, some of those youth went off. They prayed until five o'clock in the morning. God sovereignly touched them with youth leaders that knew nothing and went to bed.
1: But they had praised for hours and God moved. Many of those people have gone to the nations today for Jesus. And
2: I can tell you literally, it had nothing to do with us. It never has. But really it didn't. We knew nothing. But praise is a powerful weapon. Ruth Heflin says, um, she says, a voice of praise is always a voice of victory. Always. And there's such truth to that. She says, praise until the worship, the spirit of worship comes. Worship until the glory comes. Then stand in the glory. So praise releases joy. Praise is powerful and is a weapon of warfare. You know, David sent out the praises and the worshipers before to battle. Sometimes the battles were won before they actually had to go to battle. Praise opens the way for us to move into worship into true worship where we can worship in spirit and truth. Praise impacts our area that we live in. We praise as a celebration. We praise as a love offering to the Lord. So let us choose, there's so much more. Let us choose to praise the Lord both corporately and individually. Let us sing his praises, shout his praises and dance his praises. It's a powerful, powerful weapon. If you're stuck, if you're stuck in a place and you don't know what to do and you're feeling stuck within yourself, make a decision for this week, every single day, I'm going to praise. I'm going to praise at least five songs. I start off, I normally have two or three fast songs that I dance and then I move into slower things. That's just me. I'm not putting that on anybody. But you need to start with something you can dance to. That physical obedience will take you into a place. You do that for a week, you'll be in a different place. Yeah, um, normally I touch on the Word of God, but Ken covered that quite well last night, yesterday, and I don't have time to do it, so that's fine. The next point I wanna to touch is the joy of the Lord. Again, this is a whole preach that I've actually often done because it's a very personal thing to me, so I'm only gonna to touch on it a little bit. But in Nehemiah at 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength and your stronghold. Your strength and your stronghold. The joy of the Lord is so important. When we, we were in, I think, Durban, when I got a, we got a prophetic word, in the middle of the prophetic word that I was getting, the word says, in the middle of it, there was this whole page, there's this line, this one line, and God's gonna increase your capacity for pain. How many of you would like to get a word like that? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, oh Lord, I didn't want that word. But the Lord has always spoken to me about joy, and I've had many people prophesy joy over my life. The first three prophets I knew, that I actually knew were prophetic people. Each one prophesied that the Lord has changed, His. had four words, the Lord has changed my name to joy. So I know that joy is very key in my life. So when I had that scripture, I thought to myself, I better start studying up joy, because if I'm gonna, God's gonna increase my capacity for pain, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I need to understand that, and I did. I started reading books on joy, and I started um, doing all of that, and through some of my hardest seasons, Some of the toughest seasons I've ever been through. It is the joy of the Lord that has strengthened me and brought me through. He's given me joy in the midst of darkness. He's given me, and through joy, hope. He's given me that joy, that deep inner joy that wasn't there. That circumstances really didn't, didn't really, they weren't to be joyful about. But God is that good. That joy is a supernatural joy. It's not a happy, just a happy feeling. Yes, you do get happy. But it's that deep joy that strengthens you at all times. So when you're going through tough times, you need to know how to access the joy of the Lord. Praise, joy. The next one I wanna touch on is generosity. Generosity. And believe it or not, generosity is a kingdom key. I was raised in a family that practiced generosity. We weren't Christians, as you know. I haven't shared my full testimony, but we are basically raised in the occult. But my parents are amazing, and they love the Lord and very passionate. They love the Lord now, and very passionate about him and all the rest. And as I said, I had a praying grandmother. But I had so much to learn when we became Christians. When we became Christians, Tithing was not an issue for us. The cult we went to, um, you gave 10%, not 1%, you you gave 1%, I think it was 1%, but it was like mandatory. It was like you had to give the stuff, and so it was legalistic. But so tithing for us wasn't an issue. You know, it just, it became very easy for us. And at the time when we got saved, Ken was earning a lot of money, so tithing really wasn't a problem. We then went down to Cape Town and full-time ministry, and so again, tithing just became normal for us. So it wasn't an issue, and we're very blessed. I know for some people it's stretching, but God had a lot to teach us there. But I want to tell you something about tithing. I'm gonna read a little story. And I wanna quote John D. Rockefeller, senior on this one. He said, yes I tithe, and I would like to tell you how it all came about. I had to begin work as a small boy to help support my mother. My first wages amounted to $1.50 per week. The first week I went to work, I took the $1.50 home to my mother, and she held the money in her lap and explained to me that she would be happy if I would give a tenth to the Lord. I did, and from that week to this day, I have tithed on every dollar God has entrusted to me. And I want to say, if I had not tithed on the first dollar I made, I would not have tithed on the first million dollars I had made. Tell your readers to train up their children to tithe, and they will grow up to be faithful servants and stewards of the Lord. And that is really key. But there was a lot that God wanted to teach me. When we went into full-time ministry, you know, so Ken was earning well, now we go into full-time ministry, and we're not earning well at all. It was um, a Presbyterian church, and they kind of believe in giving you a stipend, what they did in South Africa, it was fine, I mean, we, it was fine, it was fine, but we often, there often a time we really didn't have a lot of money at all. But Ken and I sat down and we prayed, and we'd made a decision that we we're going to learn to trust the Lord, that we would never ask my family for money. If I had asked my dad for money, if I'd phoned him and said, Dad, I'm short this month, it would have been in my bank the next day. If I had phoned my brother and asked him for money, it would have been in the bank the next day. They would never have allowed us to be short. I just have a wonderful family of generosity and they wouldn't want us to suffer in anywhere. We made a decision never to do that, we never did. Okay, so it was key because we couldn't trust in man when we actually could have. It was easy for us to trust in man and it wouldn't have been an issue for them. It really wouldn't, they wouldn't have thought, well, you know, well, you made the wrong decision, it wouldn't have been an issue. They're just like that. But our God is good. And I remember the times we actually didn't have, in Cape Town, we didn't have enough money for food. So we were really struggling at times. But God is that good. The kids, I would always, when the time was short and we didn't have enough food, I'd say to Ken, we're running out of food and payday's not coming. So we decided we wouldn't eat. So the kids would say, oh, are you fasting? And think, yes, we are. It's not like an intentional fast, but clearly we're not eating. And put all the food aside for the kids never lasted very long, God was always so good. But each time, he his, um, his was so faithful in the way he did that and never did that last long. And this, there was, there's just so many stories, but I don't have the time to tell them all, how God provided in those times. But one story I will share. We, in South Africa, you get three weeks on vacation. And we always used to go away on a good three to four weeks vacation. And we used to love going away on vacations. That's America's bad at. You need more vacation time. You really do, and you need to take it and get away and actually have a break. You function better, and you perform better. So anyway, um, so we wanted to go on vacation. We lived in Cape Town. My family was up far away from us, like a 16-hour drive and all the rest of it. And that year, I felt to say to the kids, we need to pray for money for vacation. Uh, You don't do that with children of about seven and, uh, I think they were about eight and six or something, no, seven and five, I think, maybe even younger, six and four. So you don't do that with children. You don't say that to them. But anyway, I felt to do that. So the next one morning on the Saturday morning, we lived, the the church was here. We lived in the man's church house. And um, on a Saturday, the kids used to play all over the property, and it was very safe and all the rest of it. So one morning, Saturday morning, the kids are up and about playing, and you know when it's quiet a little too long as parents? You kind of think, no, I better check on my kids because it's just a little too long. I mean, it wasn't very long, but still too long. I go outside, and they've set up a table at the entrance of the church, and it says, we need money for vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and they're selling stuff. They're even selling um, envelopes with 20 cents written on, in a permanent marker and some of their toys and food out our cupboards, and they're selling stuff so we can go on vacation. And I come inside, and I tell them, listen, we need to come in now. And in my heart, I think God told me to tell them this. I cannot correct them. This is faith. They're taking a step in faith. But it is so utterly embarrassing. I phoned a friend of mine, and I said, please do me a favor. Come buy the kids out. I'll give you money. (laughs) And she came and bought the entire table out. Anyway, they made 40 rand. They're convinced today that that 40 rand's what took us on vacation. They're probably right. My brother phones me. He says to me, listen, I have extra um, timeshare. I wonder if you can use it. It's a new place right on the coast. Lagoon, the ocean, absolutely magnificent. He said, and we want to go to, um, this year I just thought maybe it'd be good if we could go away as a family to, it was like a five-star hotel in the mountains. And um, he said, I'll just cover the price. You know, it'll be, you, you and your family will have one unit, we'll have one unit, and my parents will have a unit. I said, well, that'd be great. He said, and then the other week I thought we could go up to the game reserve. He had a, um, a, a private um, house in the middle of a game reserve. We went on three five-star vacations in one, one three weeks' t- time. Now, it came through my brother, but that's not the point. Years later, I remember saying to Chantal one day, Chantal, I feel so sorry for you because like I really feel bad about you because all of your kids, we lived in a very wealthy area. At that time, it was the second wealthiest area in South Africa and yet we got nothing. I thought, you know, like all your friends have so much. She looks at me like she was so puzzled and she said, but mom, you taught us faith. And I remembered that vacation. The embarrassment was so worth it. Today, they live by faith. You know, those are the things. You cannot outgive God. We have given to God, this isn't about us, but you cannot outgive God. We've given away eight cars, we've received nine. You just can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. So, God, be generous. Be generous in all ways. He is so faithful. Hearing the voice of God is a huge topic, but Ken can touch that one. How's my time? Oh, grief. I'm not going to finish. Prayer is another one, um, which I won't touch on. Just to say with prayer, when you pray, pray from your position down, as Ken says. If you're battling to pray for somebody and you don't know if you have faith what you pray for, go to the Word and pray the Word. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is about identity. You pray that over people, and God will start to move in their identity and who they are and their call. So if you're stuck with how to pray, that's what you pray. Um, Service, I want to... possibly finish with this one. Let's see what service, yeah, there's more, but you know, you never get through everything. Servant-heartedness and the gift of service is such a key. Now, I need to tell you, I'm not naturally that way. I've had to learn to serve. I've got a husband who's so servant-hearted, it's amazing, and daughter and a son. My other daughter and I, not so much, but Shintel and Clayton take after their father and they're naturally servant-hearted. I had to learn to serve, but it's a supernatural thing. Abraham's servant was sent to Abraham's people to find a wife for Isaac. When he got to the city, he asked God for a favor. So we're just gonna pick up the story briefly in Genesis 24, 12 to 22, but I'm not gonna read it, I'm just gonna tell it. Rebecca, we see, was a beautiful woman. She was a Syrian, was the granddaughter of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Let us see what she was introduced. Let's see that she was introduced as a beautiful, industrious, and beautifully sensitive girl. Her willingness to serve Abraham's servant and then to give water to all the camels. Show this. I read somewhere that there were so many cam- the camels and how much water they drink. It would have taken her something like, I think it was 90 trips to the water or something like that to go and get water for these camels. But a great lesson in the way God provides brings surprising rewards for the servant-hearted people we learn here, we learn this. Little did Rebecca know that those camels she was giving water to were were carrying untold gifts for her and her family. Little did she know that her future destiny lay in the seemingly ordinary act of service, but she was a servant-hearted lady. Ken shared yesterday, for those who weren't here, about a man by the name of David Cape, who we went to an outreach to. And he prayed for this boy. He used to go around washing feet and um, praying for people. And he washed this little boy's feet, served him. And the boy's feet started to move. Eventually, that little boy was running around healed. There is such a supernatural element
1: to service. But even when you like me and you've had to work at it, it's not an excuse not to serve. We need to serve. It's very, very powerful. Um, live for the kingdom of
2: God. The kingdom of God of heaven is like a merchant looking for a pearl. When he found one of the great value, he went away and sold everything that he had brought. This scripture will always challenge us. So, just to, um, John Wimber in his book, Kingdom Living, wrote, one of the greatest tragedies of Western Christendom is the disparity between Christians what Christians say they believe and how they actually live. Let us pursue an eternal heavenly perspective rather than a temporal one. Let us live our lives around Jesus and his kingdom, not fitting Jesus and his kingdom into our lives. We fit into his life. We live around that truth, not him around us. Many Christians today have a relationship with Jesus but still fit him into their life, the Son of God, into their lives rather than we, us, fit into his life. And we gotta, that's a decision we make daily. It's easy to just get caught up in our own life. It's not, it's not like a judgment, oh, this is what you do, or I do. We do it, we just get caught up in our own lives. We gotta make a decision to do that. And even big decisions that you make, make it around the kingdom, around what the Lord says, He's a king of great value. And little things like, I remember when we were leading a church, we, we realized that we would have a lot of people in a house. Well, if you have a lot of people in your house, the chances are the kids are gonna jump all over the furniture and the, you know, all the rest of it. Don't buy white furniture unless you can wash it regularly. If you can, that's fine, but you, you work around the people. You can't buy something and then get irritated that the kids are jumping on the furniture. It's the fact that they shouldn't be jumping in the furniture is secondary. Their parents might have to learn that. Maybe they're too little, it doesn't matter. You've got to be available to them. You make decisions around the kingdom. Make kingdom decisions. That's all I have time to touch on. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And, oops, it's on. I just, I won't take long. I just want to quickly come back to the praise part. The Bible says in Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So your body's breathing. Oxygen's going in and out. So that's why it's living. So when you offer your bodies, when I lift my hands and I don't feel like it, it's a sacrifice unto the Lord. That's what Michelle was coming at. And when we do that, something shifts inside of us. Sometimes it doesn't happen immediately, but it comes. That's what happens. And so I want to encourage you, develop a lifestyle of praise. I come home sometimes and I can hear the music two blocks away. I don't know what our neighbors think. And I walk in the door and my wife doesn't know I'm there and I'm standing and she's running up and down and she's dancing and she's doing flick-flacks and whatever. Just in the presence of the Lord. Between her and the Lord. That's it. It's wonderful. It really is. The other thing I want to encourage you to do cultivate a lifestyle of humility. How do you do that? Through praise and worship, through honoring other people. When you honor others, you cultivate a lifestyle of humility. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble. To the humble. So you cultivate a lifestyle of humility. And the other way you do that is through gratitude. And Michelle, shall trust gratitude. Gratitude's huge. It's unbelievably big when we are thankful for what God has done. And then the other thing I just want to say, keep short accounts. Please keep short accounts with the Lord. When you mess up, when you do something and you think, oh, that wasn't too good or whatever the case is, keep a short account. Don't let it go for a long period of time before you deal with it. Because what happens is you feel, oh, that ugliness inside, and then you get on with something else, but it's undealt with, but that ugliness now goes.
1: But it's still undealt with. And then you forget about it. Keep, a short, keep short accounts with one another. Husbands, wives, short accounts. Don't fester.
0: Don't let it fester for days and weeks. I'm encouraging you. Because the emotion goes, but the issue's undealt with. And so next time something happens, it sparks something in you very quickly because the last thing was still undealt with. So keep short accounts. I'm encouraging you. And then the last one is be aggressive towards the enemy. Don't flirt with him. Don't flirt with the devil. You'll come unstuck. Kim? Yes. That's forgiveness. Sorry? Forgiveness. Sorry, yeah, that's key. Okay. Don't flirt with the devil. What I mean by simply by this. If you know one of the weak points in your area, let me use a simple example. Say God rescued you from alcohol, because alcohol was a big issue, which he did for me, was a big issue in your life. But, For me, by the grace of God, the day he saved me, I just had no desire to drink anymore. So, for a long, standard period of time. But if that was your issue, then when he sets you free, don't go and fellowship with somebody
1: in a bar. That is ludicrous. Because you'll do it once and drink milk or water
0: or Coke or whatever you drink or ginger ale you will do it twice. But the third time, oh, I'll just have one beer. Next time, oh, two beers is no problem. And it's back down that road. That's what I mean. Don't flirt with the devil. He's a master deceiver. He deceived Adam and Eve. And the last thing I want to say, for me, the biggest thing of
1: all, forgive, 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 forgive Forgive, forgive, forgive again and then again
0: and once more and another time, keep forgiving. If you're not too sure how to do that, get somebody to help you. Forgive people. It's the biggest bar none, biggest area in our lives that will block God
1: from working you and closely linked with unforgiveness is offense. The Bible said,
0: blessed is he that is not offended by me. Jesus said that. Offense, the word offense in the Bible is from a Greek word called skandalon. And what it is, is it's the food that you put in a trap to trap the animal. So You put the cage there, you put the food in, that food's called scandalon animal comes in, smells the food, takes a bite, and it gets trapped. The cage closes. Now it's trapped.
1: A fence is dead bait. There's a book called The Bait of Satan. It will rob you when you keep an offense. And I can tell you now, before
0: the sun goes down in seven days' time, somebody will offend you. People don't wake up in the morning and say, who can I offend?
1: Mm."
0: They don't do that. But people say and do things unknowingly and we take an offense. The way you know you have an offense and it's undoubtless is when you come to church on a Sunday, particularly in the church of somebody You're not offended by that person. You walk up to them and say, Hello, how are you? How was your weekend? Oh, great, great. Then they say something and do something. They don't even know they've offended you, but you've taken an offense. So next Sunday, you come to church. They stand in there and you come and you stand up. Yeah, now. Hello, how are you doing? The
1: next Sunday, you stand up. Hi. The next Sunday, you don't even greet them because their offense is hooked in there. It's called the bait of Satan. That's the devil's territory.
0: Derek Prince, who ministered for over 55 years, said the biggest number
1: one issue in the church today that splits churches, offense. Biggest, bar none. This couple yeah, they have great hearts. Trust me, I've
0: known them for years. They really have great They love you people. But I can tell you, they will offend you. Not because that's what they want to do. Because they'll say something or do something and an offense will arise in your heart. And they'll have no idea they offended you.
1: And then you back off from them and back off from them. And all they're trying to do is love you and serve you. Deal with offense. It's gone all quiet in there gentleman I looked up to greatly and respected a lot.
0: He offended me. He didn't know he offended me. We were away somewhere on a conference and he offended me. And I went back to the hotel room and I told Michelle, I took an offense by what that man did. And I had to sit in my hotel room for two and a half hours to
1: deal with that offense. And eventually, something broke inside of me able to let it go two days later
0: that man phoned me and opened a door for me to do something that would never have happened before imagine if you phoned me and I still had the offense in me it was like God was just what are you going to do with this Ken I'll end with this we were at a conference somewhere and the person that was leading the presence of God came the preacher but they had to have a break a coffee break, a tea break. And so the preacher said to the guy that was facilitating the meeting, like you is facilitating, I'm under his authority. He's in charge not me. He is. But he says to you, Ken, sit down. I sit down. Done. Because he's in authority. So I'm under his authority. So the guy who was leading the meeting, the preacher said, what should we do? I turned to Michelle and I said, I bet you the guy who's leading the meeting is going to say, Stop. And he shouldn't stop now. The presence of God is there. And he said, "Stop." And I turned to Michelle with a very sarcastic air She said, "See, I told you." Anyway, we had coffee. We had tea. We came back and straight after coffee and tea. They decided to do communion. And we stayed in our seats, and they passed it down the row. And I was sitting there, and it was started there. And as the communion was coming down, the Lord said to me, "What are you going to do, Ken?" Are you going to take communion? you hold this offense against your brother? And as I got closer, I could feel my heart beating. He kept saying, what are you going to do, Ken? Are you you actually going to take communion? I got up out of my seat, and I walked to the guy in the front. And I said, I'm sorry. I said something that was not very healthy towards you.
1: He didn't know, obviously. I had no clue. He said, don't worry about it, Ken. It's fine. But I felt the peace of God come back. Sat down, took communion. Deal with offense. If you don't know how, get somebody to help you,
0: encourage you. These things keep your heart pliable. Keeps your heart tender in the hands of the Lord. You'll be shocked what he will do. Because it's never about us, it's about him. and He wants to work in us and through us. Amen. Just simple practical tools, that's all. Just develop a lifestyle. It takes a while, just develop a lifestyle. Just develop the lifestyle. Serve. Those of you are serving, I commend you. I honestly commend you. Those of the worship team that comes early, we were we staying next door, downstairs, whatever. I heard them this morning, early. Early this morning, 8 o'clock. So they were here two hours before anybody else came. I commend you guys. It's not easy getting up early and everybody else is still sleeping, whatever. You've got to come here and you've got to, particularly these young people, like this young lady that led, helped lead worship commend you guys. you put in in time and effort, and all you're doing is you're serving and serving. And sometimes you'll serve for weeks and months, and nobody will say thank you. Don't look for gratitude. Don't look for the thanks, because you're doing it for him.
1: But we need to thank other people. We need to thank them for what they've done. We really do. Amen. You, would you like to say something? Okay. you don't mind, just close your eyes. Not because it's more spiritual, it just helps you focus. And if you need to forgive someone, I'm going to encourage you now, just say, Heavenly Father, is there someone I need to forgive? And If something comes up inside you, Make a decision today, right now.
0: I'll lead you in it. You just say, in the name of Jesus,
1: I choose to forgive and mention a person's name. I forgive you. I forgive you. Don't worry about the emotion. The emotion will go later.
0: And you do that as often as you feel you need to. I forgive you.
1: Particularly in marriages. Forgive your wife. Forgive your husband. Children, forgive your parents. They are not perfect. Forgive them. Somebody's dead, doesn't matter, forgive them. And then I encourage
0: you, pray a blessing for them. Simply say, Lord Jesus, bless that
1: person. Bless whoever that person is. And so, Heavenly Father, I take authority and I break every
0: spirit of offense that the devil has wanted to bring over
1: God's people in the name of Jesus. Break that offense off. Father, help us develop a lifestyle to be pliable in your hands, to be the clay because you are the potter. Help us, Lord. We ask you, help us. We want to honor you. We want to thank you. We want to declare our total need of you every day. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these leaders. I thank you for these
0: servant-hearted people. I thank you for them. I thank you for them. And I feel like the Lord would say to you as Restoration Church, watch and see what I will do. Watch and see what I will do. I feel like you're in for some surprises. I feel like God's going to surprise you, people.
1: Father, I thank you for that. Thank you for that. We honor you. We love you. Bless this wonderful church in the name of Jesus. Let it sink deep in you. Let it stretch wide. Let it go high. I feel like the Lord would say, not in a bad way,
0: can I trust you to send you some of the broken-hearted people?
1: Can I send you some of those that are in debt and distressed Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in and through these wonderful people. In the name of Jesus.
0: And everybody said, Amen.
1: Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.